Well, welcome everybody to the Northborough Church of Christ YouTube channel. I want to welcome you to my front porch again, and it's good to see the sunshine and the warm weather, isn't it? See some of the snow melt away. And Today, we talk about Exodus chapter 8, and I've entitled the sermon, Denial Near the Nile. Uh, referring to the Nile River in Egypt. Pharaoh, his heart is hardened. And thus far, the magicians, the Egyptian magicians, have been able to duplicate on a smaller scale, in my mind, what God is doing through Aaron and Moses. God has told Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh and throw the staffs on the ground, and, and they turned into snakes. <clears throat> and if you recall, the magicians were able to do the same thing. However, the staffs, or the snakes, that Aaron threw down ate up the snakes of the magicians. And then they turned the Nile River into blood, Aaron and Moses. Uh, but the magicians were able to do something similar. The same thing. We find ourselves in Exodus chapter 8 with the frogs, the gnats, and the flies coming up on the Egyptians. And we see a change when we get to the gnats. We see a change when we get to the flies. Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever denied the Lord, cracked under pressure? Sometimes it's with our words, and at other times it's with our behavior, isn't it? Maybe a combination of both. Maybe you had an opportunity to talk about Christ with someone. You know, there was no denying the opportunity, no denying the open door, and you didn't speak a word, like something had a hold of your tongue. You didn't have the words to say. The greeting that should have been seasoned with salt and grace was nowhere to be found. Or maybe you have found yourself facing an action that you took that completely looked like someone other than Christ in you. What do we do? Do we deny our denial? Make excuses or justify it? What can help us stop denying the Lord? Is it more courage, more faith, more opportunities? What if the answer is not in more of these things, but in less? Now, I'm not talking about less courage or less faith, but less of ourselves. I mean, isn't that what we decided to do when we became Christians anyway? Die to self and die to sin and live to Christ and live to righteousness? You see, it's no longer me exclusively living. It's Christ in me. And his will and his desires take precedent over ours, over mine. It's like what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3 and verse 30. He must increase, but I must. We want to consider what ways we may deny our Lord 
and how to avoid denying him. And we want to do that by looking at scriptures that talk about different ways we deny the Lord and seeing the attitudes of the Egyptian magicians and Pharaoh. Maybe we can learn a lesson from what they say and do in Exodus chapter 8. But first, we want to consider some scriptures that talk about how we deny or can deny the Lord. And I want to start in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30, and this one we may know. It's a pretty good one. And start in verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. And here Agur, the writer of this proverb, says, God, I don't want to be so wealthy that I deny you and say, who is God? Nor do I want to be so poor that I profane your name by going and stealing. And being disobedient to your ways. And brothers and sisters, there's two ways here that we can deny our Lord. One is being self-sufficient and the other one is being uh, less than sufficient in our daily needs, at least of what we can recognize as our needs. I'm going to try to explain this a little bit more. The Pharaoh, Pharaoh's attitude towards the first two signs uh, we can see this self-sufficiency back in Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7, and I'm going to start reading in verse 8 all the way down through 23. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. And so here we have these Egyptian magicians being able to do the same thing that Moses and Aaron are doing here. Now, we can get into the implications of that uh, at another time. I'm not going to deal with um, these magicians being able to perform the same miracles that Aaron and Moses are performing now, uh, but maybe at a later time. Verse 12, for each one threw down his staff and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, it's not said whether or not that Pharaoh and the magicians and Moses and Aaron saw the interaction of the staffs that turned into serpents. We don't know if they saw the serpents of Aaron and Moses eat up the serpents of the magicians. My mind tells me that they did. And here we have Pharaoh seeing this, and he's hardening his heart towards it. See, in the mind of Pharaoh, who's God? He is. And in the minds of all those Egyptians there, Pharaoh is God. Again, in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. 
But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned into blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams, and over their pools, and over all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood. And there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels and wood, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Excuse me. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile. And the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of the servants and all the water that was in the Nile was turned into blood. The fish that were in the Nile died and the Nile became foul so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern, even for this. We see the attitude of Pharaoh here, don't we? Here are these two, if you, would, if you will, smaller miracles. And God is gradually going to use Moses and Aaron, and the plagues are going to intensify. Culminating with the death of the firstborn in Egypt. But Pharaoh's heart was so hard. He was so self-sufficient. He saw these two signs and then he was uh, seeing and watching his magicians perform the same signs. And he didn't recognize what was right in front of his eyes. Something different was happening here. I mean, the whole Nile... All the reservoirs of water was turned into blood. That's not normal. And Pharaoh is self-sufficient. And this is what the proverb writer is saying. He's, don't allow me to be so self-sufficient. Don't, don't allow me to be so wealthy that I deny you and say, who is the Lord? And back in the earlier chapters of Exodus, we see that Pharaoh said that exact thing. Who is the Lord that I should listen or obey him? And so we deny the Lord by being self-sufficient. I don't need God. I can take care of myself. And then the other aspect of it is being insufficient. Back in Proverbs chapter 30, Starting in verse 8, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full, Pharaoh, and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of God. And see, there are those who are so self-sufficient that they don't need God. And then there's those who are so insufficient that they don't need God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in Matthew 5 and verse 3. And this is not a sermon about whether you're wealthy or poor. 
It's a sermon about whether or not we deny a Christ by our self-sufficiency or our insufficiency. And there are opportunities to do that with both of those um, situations. Timothy and Titus also give us some scriptures. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 how we can also deny our Lord, and that's by being faithless. In 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 11, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him, talking about Jesus. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so many people have misinterpreted that to mean that uh, regardless of the way I live, God's going to be faithful. God is faithful. He's, he's, stuck, he's stuck with me through the thick and thin. Even, uh, even if I fall away, God is faithful. Even if I live a disobedient life, God is going to be faithful. And that's not true at all. He says the exact opposite. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is going to be true to himself regardless of our actions. And we can deny him by being faithless. Being faithless shows its way itself in many different ways, doesn't it? It may be something as simple as being out in public and we have an opportunity, as we said in our opening, uh, um, our introduction, we have an opportunity. It's clear. It's there. There's no denying it. And we don't take the opportunity. Why not? Are we afraid? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of, are we afraid of rejection? Are we afraid of uh, upsetting that person brothers and sisters we, we've got to get beyond upsetting people we're talking about salvation aren't we i mean those of you who have had parents who've grown up in the church what if they never talked to you about jesus what if they never took you to church what if they never lived out their faith in front of you they cared enough to do that they thought it important enough and their faith to show you a good example. Aren't you thankful? And I'm thankful that somebody was uh, bold enough and faithful enough to go and spread the gospel and talk about the gospel to me. We can't be faithless. Um, we profess with the mouth, but deny with our moves. In Titus chapter 1, we profess with, the, with our mouths, but deny with our moves. In other words, yes, I love God, but then I don't live that way. In Titus chapter 1, we see this. Listen to what this says. Starting in verse 10, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, 
But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good work. Brothers and sisters, we know it does no good for us to profess Christ and then deny him by our actions. It reminds me, and some of you are old enough, you may remember of this song by DC Talk called What If I Stumble? And the introduction to that song, it was somebody who was talking about atheists. And they said, one of the main causes of atheists are Christians. Christians who, with their words, profess God, but then they turn around and go out and live and live a life that's contrary to the person that they possess, profess. And so they profess Christ, and then they turn around and live a life that's completely contrary to Christ. And that's what Paul is telling Titus here. They profess to know God, but deny him by their actions. <laughs> and so the proverb writer says, God, don't put me in such a position where I deny you and I'm so self-sufficient because of my wealth that I say, who is the Lord? Nor do I want to be in a position where I'm so stricken with poverty that instead of turning to you, I turn to stealing, cheating, lying, and sinning. And then Paul tells Timothy and Titus, be faithful. Don't deny our Lord. He's going to remain faithful regardless if we are faithful or faithless. He's not going to deny himself. And then he tells Titus, be careful. These people, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. And being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. Why? Because people can smell a hypocrite. And as Christians, what's our default? Well, nobody's perfect. Brothers and sisters, let's stop saying that. We know we're not perfect, but we are Christians, and there is a standard that we need to live by, and the standard is Christ. And so don't fall back on nobody's perfect. I know that. Believe me, and you know that I'm not perfect too, don't you? Absolutely. But that's not an excuse. At least it's not a good one. We have to remain faithful. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, he says this. He says, if you want to deny somebody, deny yourself. In Luke chapter 9, starting in 23, Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I'm going to deny somebody. Deny ourselves. 
John tells us that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We sing the song too, right? In 1 John 5, 4. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. And faith also helps us to overcome, if you will, ourselves. That sinful part of ourselves that died when we were immersed into Christ. When we placed our faith in Christ and his body and blood. And we said, I want to die to myself and rise to walk in newness of life in Christ. Faith helps us overcome that dead man that wants to be resurrected in us again. And our faith helps us to deny ourselves. If you go back to Pharaoh and the Egyptian magicians back in Exodus chapter 8. The magicians were honest. Let's read it. Let's we'll start in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. Pharaoh doesn't. The plague of frogs comes over the whole land. And the magicians, again, do the same. Pharaoh called for Moses in verse 8, Aaron, and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Now, this is interesting, and just, just a thought as we pass by this. If the magicians could make frogs come, how come they couldn't make them go away? In other words, why is Pharaoh going to Moses and Aaron asking that the Lord remove these frogs? How come he didn't ask these magicians to? Anyway, verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? And Moses, uh, um, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And so God brings, kills all of the frogs, basically, and they put them in heaps and piles. And, and the whole area of Egypt became foul with all of these dead, piled up frogs. It says, when Pharaoh saw relief, he hardened his heart. And we're going to get to him in a second. And then we have the plague of the gnats or the insects in Exodus 8, 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may, that it may, become, that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. So we're not talking about just a few gnats. And we get, you know, we get insects and the warm weather's coming. We might start to see some more insects and things like that. We're talking about everywhere. Covered. I mean, crawling up in the nostrils and in the earlobes and in the ears. I mean, just covered in gnats, if you can imagine that. In verse 18, the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. This is different. 
Up until now, the magicians were able to do everything that Moses and Aaron were able to do through God. Now, mm -mm. and notice what they say, verse 19. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They were honest. Now, we don't know if they were converted or not. It doesn't tell us. But at least at this point, they recognize this is of God. This is different. They were honest. Brothers and sisters, I think that's a lesson for us as Christians. Part of avoiding denying our Lord is just simply being honest. See, be, being honest about what? Be, being honest about who has created us. Where we come from. It's interesting that God uses the dust of the earth to bring these gnats upon all, of the, all over the land of Egypt, isn't it? Now think about that. What else has God created from the dust? Let's be honest about that. We have all these theories and evolutionary devices and theories that talk about some other way that man has been uh, evolved up until this point in our time. But let's be honest. There's too much intricacy. I've heard this and it slaps in the face of those who may believe certain evolutionary theories. It says, if evolution is true, it's a miracle. Most evolutionists that I've read deny miracles. Now, let's be honest. We are made from the hand of God. We are part of his creation. And Genesis chapter 2, it says that he made man from the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We come from God. In Psalm 103, it's become one of my favorites. Psalm 103. Listen to what David says here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things. Hasn't God done that? So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, brothers and sisters, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord. Just as a father has compassion on his children, 
So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Remember this. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. We talked about excuses before. And how sometimes we can use the excuse that we're not perfect. And here we have in this psalm a beautiful reminder of how God sees us. And it says he is mindful that we are but dust. Not that he will excuse sin in our lives, no. But he knows where we've come from. He knows that we can be weak sometimes. We are but dust. Filled with the spirit of God. Be encouraged by that. God's mindful of what we're made of. And so the magicians were honest. And that's what we need to be too. We need to be honest about where we've come from. We've come from God. Without him, we have no breath. We have no movement, right? By him, we move and breathe and have our existence. Let's be honest about that. And with that, how can we deny our own creator? I've come from him. If anything, it should be those who deny that they were created or come from the creator that should be ashamed, not us as Christians. And yet somehow Satan has got everything flipped around, doesn't he? To where the Christian who honors our creator is the one ashamed and the one who doesn't recognize our creator isn't ashamed. And Pharaoh, notice what the Pharaoh says back in Exodus 8. Gnats were everywhere. The magicians weren't able to duplicate this one. They don't know. They say it's the finger of God. And yet Pharaoh says, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So he doesn't let the people go, even though his own magicians now have met their match. And beyond their match, God has gone far and above, and he is about to unleash his wrath on the Egyptians. And Pharaoh says no. The flies. In verse 20, now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants. And your houses will be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground in which they dwell. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. And so all these flies came, except on the land of Goshen, where Israel was. And so now we have a change here. Not only are the magicians not able to duplicate these things now, but now these plagues are just happening to the Egyptians. 
can see God really forcing Pharaoh into a corner. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. He says, We go three days' journey. Verse 29, then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of flies may be may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again, and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And so there's this interaction between Pharaoh, Moses, and Aaron. He's talking about these flies. And Pharaoh says, Go, you can go. Just get rid of these things. In verse 30, so Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. Can you imagine? Not one fly remained. Now, those of you who are familiar with camp, imagine if God just said, no, no more flies are going to remain in the kitchen, right? We've seen flies so many times. Not one remained in Egypt. Not one. You figure Pharaoh would be like, wow, this is God. This is tremendous. Here we've had swarms of flies. Now there's not even one left. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Friends, how many times have you heard it or seen it or have done it yourself? If God does this, then I will do this. Or we want something to happen in a positive way in our lives. Maybe I see it on Facebook and it's really, really sad where some folks will post type amen and you'll receive, you know, $100 next week. Maybe I don't know if they really believe that or not. I don't. But what if the $100 doesn't come? Will you still still say amen? Will you still trust in the Lord even if the $100 doesn't come? You see, Pharaoh wanted the flies gone. And while the flies were there, he's like, yes, go and sacrifice to the Lord. And he tries to make a compromise. Even then, he wasn't truly obedient to the call that God was asking. But then once the flies were gone, Pharaoh reneged on his word. He went back on what he said. And brothers and sisters, we can't play that game with God. We, we deny him that way. God is God or he isn't. And he's Lord of Lords or he isn't. He's our master or he isn't. And we have no right as his creation to try and manipulate God. When things are going my way, I'm a big fan of God. When things aren't going my way, I don't need God. Or we question God. In Romans 1, they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Paul opens the book by saying, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And he talks about how there's certain things that are evident just in creation. 
the invisible attributes of God, his eternal nature, are clearly seen through what has been made. And yet there are those people, whether or not they've suppressed it by living such an ungodly life for so long that their hearts are so hardened, or they see the evidence in front of them and they choose not to recognize it. And instead of acknowledging and worshiping the creator, they exchange the worship of the creator for images in the form of man. That's today. Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Denial near the Nile. The Egyptian magicians recognized that the gnats that they could not match came from God. Pharaoh went back on his word so many times, and he's going to go back on it so many more times as we continue to read through Exodus. His heart was so hardened that he couldn't see what was right in front of his eyes. And brothers and sisters, the creation, the creation is right in front of our eyes. And we can avoid denying him. We just need to be honest. Honest about where we've come from. Honest about him being our creator. We're made in his image. He's breathed into us life. And not only that, as a creator, but he's redeemed us from our own sinful ways through the body and blood of his own son. Why would I ever want to deny God or deny his son? Why would you ever want to? So be encouraged to not crack under pressure. It's not Christians who need to be ashamed. We're made in his image and so on all of his, uh, all of his children, if you will. Some of his children have chosen to be disobedient. Just like we were before we come to know the gospel. So let's not walk around being ashamed to call ourselves Christian. And let's not be ashamed of the gospel that saved our souls. God bless you. May you be encouraged by this message. I pray that it's benefited you in some way. And, and thank you for everyone that's still tuning into the YouTube channel and also those who are listening to the podcast. Take care.